Hi, I'm Janet O'Shea, author of Risk Failure Play, What Dance Reveals About Martial Arts Training. I'm in conversation today with Stephanie Phillips, Muay Thai fighter with a PhD in rhetoric, who is also a graphic novel author. So Stephanie, um, the reason I wanted to talk to you in particular um, is that I was really excited to talk to another fighter writer um, <laughs> who's also an academic. Um, and I was interested in hearing your thoughts about um, martial arts, play, failure, competition, all those kinds of things. And I was particularly interested given that you are actually a competitive fighter, which I'm not. Yeah, um, I mean, sad to say I haven't been doing as much competitive fighting since moving to Buffalo, but actually today, I just, uh, thanks to Facebook for reminding me, today is actually a year ago the date of my last competitive fight. So um, I got uh, bombarded with quite a few images this morning of uh, the last time I, I released into the ring. So yeah, I, I, I like the title Fighter Writer. That's, that's going where. <laughs> But yeah, I think I've always been kind of, uh, especially thanks to my dissertation director, who was always like, you know, if you if you do it, find a way to write about it, embed it into your research. And um, in my case, you know, I've had the opportunity to write about it in both as a comic format, as well as um, a part of my academic research. And of course, while also kind of living the experience of being one of the few female fighters um, in the gym I trained out of in Tampa. Yeah. So uh, one of the things I've Interesting. I'm trying to actually reconstruct how we began corresponding, and it's really interesting to me that we've corresponded for a couple of years now, but this is our first time actually speaking in real time, and we're doing that while being recorded, so that's an interesting um, improvisational exercise in itself. But I think I heard about your work first because you had been working on a project on women and combat sport. And I think, was it something to do with healing and trauma? Is that right? Yes. Um, so initially, kind of what I did was a very open-ended survey. And I, I think that's how we connected was I was kind of sharing the survey around. And it was really just about women's experience with martial arts. And I didn't know what I was going to get back from it. I asked... I asked, like, the most direct questions I think I was asking were things about, you know, what was your experience like as a female in a in a um, martial arts setting? Um, and, you know, for some people, it was never noticed at all. And, you know, other people talking about difficulties with it or why they loved it. And so I was kind of getting just a lot of responses. And one thing that I kind of didn't anticipate was the amount of responses to the question, why do you do martial arts, where the respondent was talking a lot about kind of their past with either domestic violence or trauma in, in any way. In most cases, it was, it was physical. And martial arts was kind of their way of healing and moving past that. And I just became so interested in that concept, uh, especially because there's this idea that martial arts are, are so violent that people are kind of seeking solace in martial arts uh, who have had a very violent traumatic past. So I always found that really interesting and really unanticipated when I was really doing that survey. It is really interesting, too, because I think there's an idea, there's this received wisdom that there are the nice, gentle kind of martial arts, and then there's sport fighting, which is aggressive and violent. And it's interesting, it seems like from the results you found that plenty of people actually find solace in the more so-called aggressive, competitive sport genres of martial arts. It, it is, is really interesting. You know, I think... Uh... I, I wonder how many uh, how many more people I could have reached to like the the study did kind of conclude with a brief 
article that I, I wrote for Love Fighting Hate Violence, just kind of about some of the stuff I learned and found. And I really, in the end, ended up kind of making it a more personal project where I wanted to give voice to a lot of the responses that I got on the search. Uh, because I found, and I think it's so difficult to deal with in, in academic work because everybody had a different story. So I wanted to be really cautious about not lumping it together as, oh yes, everybody is healing through martial arts in the same ways and things like that. Because I think, you know, competitive fighter, you're just training for exercise. Everybody had such an interesting, unique story. And I think that was kind of one of the difficulties of dealing with some of the responses. And I think one of the reasons why I went down the path of, here's a, a less academic piece that really just allows these voices to, to be read in a different way. So the idea of stories, so that's really interesting to me because I'm, this was something I kind of came up against when I was writing about martial arts as well. And I, I don't think I was quite as cognizant or I didn't go into it with as much intentionality as you were talking about, or like, as your advisor said, like, if you're going to do it, write about it. Um, I just started writing. I just started training in martial arts and became totally obsessed. Um, and it was the kind of thing that I, you know, I, I was that person who was just like, why not? I'll do it once a week class. And then it just spiraled into this, you know, complete love affair with um, various forms of martial arts. Um, most of them being, you know, contact martial arts rather than kind of internal systems. And in that process, at first, I was writing about things that were totally different. I was writing fiction. I was doing academic work that was focused in dance studies. And then I started just keyboarding and thinking maybe I'll write a memoir. Um, and I kind of realized that there wasn't anything that interesting about me and martial arts necessarily. But what was interesting was that I had this experience that other people have also had experiences that are not exactly the same, that are different in some ways, but that have some parale uh, parallels, have some similarities. And so, uh, you know, I came back around to this idea of story as well, which is why I ended up drawing on the memoir format, but not following a linear progression, because I realized it was these snippets of insights that I was getting, um, rather than this sort of, I started out as a timid person and I was transformed into, you know, fearless fighter or whatever, you know, I think I started out kind of bold and perhaps a little cranky. And if anything, you know, sport fighting kind of calmed me down, really. Right. Um, so I think that that idea of like these personal stories, I think it, it is really, I don't know if you, it's unique to martial arts, but I think it is sort of specific to martial arts. I mean, I think as from the storytelling angle as well, I've written comics about um, my, my two sports of choice, which would be Muay Thai and hockey. Um, I grew up a hockey player. And before I got into martial arts, I was always on the ice. As I mean, as much as any Floridian could possibly find ice, I was on the ice. Um, and, uh, you know, martial arts kind of became for me as somebody who is hyper competitive in undergrad or grad school, as I was really picking it up, I just wanted to keep being competitive. And there's a point at which as a female playing hockey, in her early 20s, there's really not another place for me to go on ice. So I wanted to keep 
keep working and keep doing something physical. And I kind of found my way into the martial arts realm as something I'd kind of always been interested in, but I had just always been on ice. So (laughs) there was little time to kind of look elsewhere. And I've now done comics on both martial arts and hockey. And, and it's really interesting. I think there is a different approach there, but there's something that I've really seen just come out of the sports communities in general. And I don't know, again, if it's just my luck with picking two really awesome sports, but the communities around both are just amazing. I, I mean, two very different stories. The The comic about Muay Thai definitely does a little bit more with the trauma angle. And it's more adult oriented while trying to give room to these voices where, again, we see we have like one gym with multiple different people in the gym and kind of each issue is a revolving uh, character kind of story arc where each person gets to tell their own story about why they're in the gym. And the other one is more for kids for playing hockey. And honestly, the the amount of people I think that are so responsive to stories about sports and why they are responsive is so interesting to me hearing from kids and parents about uh, just like what their kids get out of playing sports or finding a community around sports and now getting to tell stories about this thing they love. And it's just such an interesting kind of way to appreciate the sport now that I can't really compete in it as much. Uh, Same with hockey, just due to a lot of injuries, you know, I, I play as much as I can, but I can be a bit limited. So kind of now seeing the other side of just like still getting to live and exist in the worlds of these two things that I really love, but from more of the storytelling angle and it's been kind of a unique transition definitely missing being in the ring and on the ice but still getting to interact with those communities yeah it's super interesting to me also how communities develop around martial arts training and I think for me what was so striking oh that's such that's a terrible pun I just realized um (laughs) What is so striking about sport fighting? What is what is so compelling about martial arts practice is that sense of community. And I was really flabbergasted by how quickly I developed a sense of community. I started training at UCLA. It was a rec center class. It was, you know, it was like a sort of rotating pool of, you know, because it's primarily students who are taking this class. They come in for eight weeks. Most of them you never see again. But then there was also a club associated with the Jeet Kune Do class. And we started getting together evenings and weekends and mostly got together and did a lot of sparring. And it was really extraordinary to me how quickly we developed this real sense of community and camaraderie through this apparently violent contact and we, because we were a small group of people and we were all training really hard, we would play pretty hard and, and spar in a pretty intense way. And it was, it was incredible to me that there was a sense of goodwill. And then also it was super interesting because like everyone else in that group was a student. Uh, I think there was one postdoc. I was certainly the only faculty member. I was the sort of only, you know, grown up person with like, you know, a kid and you know, that, that kind of life. And, you know, most of them were like these guys in their 20s who were science students. And in any other capacity, we would have had so little in common. And yet we developed such a kind of sense of mutual support. And then we found all these things that we did actually end up having in common and developed these friendships. Um, And that was really fascinating to me. And I think it was such an extraordinary experience to have had that. And 
it like what you're saying with the experiences in the Muay Thai gym and with uh, ice hockey, it's something very specific to these practices. And I'm not sure I know exactly what it is, but it's a really incredible thing to be part of. Yeah. And I, you know, I think coming from ice hockey, I was a little bit touchy when I came into the Muay Thai gym because a lot of my experiences as the only female on the ice in hockey were not very positive in a lot of cases. And, you know, maybe that has something to do with the part of Florida I was in, you know, there are all kinds of factors, but as a sport that is struggling to have professional female hockey players to pay women to play the sport as you would an NHL player, there are so many struggles there. And I think, you know, when I tell the stories in the ice hockey community, it's a lot of finding a community of people that have all struggled with these issues with the sport, but still continue to love it and push on. But meanwhile, the Muay Thai thing, when I really got into it and really invested, it really was shocking to me just how supportive both men and women could be of a fighter and how there was this thriving community of female fighters already who were just dominant and amazing. And then also, you know, I would definitely have to say that some of my male training partners and coaches were probably and still are some of the best, you know, male role models that I I have in my life. And I, you know, even living in another state, I talked to my former trainer, uh, quite often and, you know, keep up with the gym and the fighters and one of my best friends in the world I made while fighting. It was my sparring partner. And I think there's something so positive that came from that community that I wasn't quite expecting because I was an athlete in other communities that maybe weren't as positive. And the martial arts community just kind of shocked me in, in the way that I didn't have to be as defensive as I used to be training in other sports and with other athletes. Yeah, that's something that I find really interesting, too. I didn't like sports growing up, and I didn't think of myself as an athletic person. I was a competitive swimmer for a while in high school, and, and in fact, when I was younger than, than high school. And even in spite of that, I, I didn't really think of myself as athletic because I didn't play team sports. I didn't play sports involving kicking balls around, and those are the ones that people are, you know, hitting balls with baseball bats. And those are the ones that people kind of pay attention to and then think of as sports. But I think I also, growing up, I didn't really like the culture of sports. I didn't like that kind of pressure of there's a team and it's there's this really intense competition with this other team, um, but everyone is relying on you, the individual, and if you mess up, then you've let down the team. And I kind of, I, I found that very, very, very stressful. And then somehow moving into martial arts, like, it's something about how, the, because the com competition is located between two people, and the accountability is really just to oneself and one's opponent. And the team consists of all the people that have helped train the fighter. So it's, it's almost, it's almost like an opposite kind of relationship. Like instead of the fighter or the, the athlete being accountable to the team, the team has this accountability to the athlete. And I know sometimes it, I know I'm kind of idealizing it because I'm sure there's plenty of instances where a, a fighter feels like they've let down the team. But I think particularly for me as an amateur, I, I got this sort of experience of support that I never really got in team sports. And that, that was really interesting to me as well. Yeah, I, I think I've likened in many places 
the actual one-on-one that you're talking about to kind of like a chess match, like a really fast-paced, sometimes violent chess match. So um, I always liked the puzzle aspect of it, the one-on-one. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are moments like, um, I mean, I've lost a fight and there's definitely a like letdown factor to wanting to make my trainers proud and excited. But at the same time, you know, having having that experience to kind of reflect on with them and to still be able to lose that fight and have them be like, okay, here are the things that you improved on. And, you know, it made us so proud to see you work on these defensive tactics or something like that in the ring. It's still... I don't know, it it almost mitigates the loss in a different way. Whereas, you know, when your team loses, I think there's sometimes in a lot of the team sports I've participated on, there's a a little bit more like bad energy in the loss. Like, it's kind of hard to explain. But, you know, I can definitely think of like hockey games, hockey games that meant absolutely nothing in the long run that, you know, people are like breaking sticks because they've lost or throwing gear or, um, or an actual fight breaks out. (laughs) And yet in a sport where fighting is the basis, even in a loss there, there, it feels like, you know, not to be so cliche with a martial art, but both respect in terms of your opponent, but also there's so much respect in the training camp that a loss has never felt like as as negative like it's still damaging like you just lost a fight and that sucks but it's not as like negative as just this really bad angry energy that I think sometimes I've experienced in team sports and not in all cases but sometimes (laughs) yeah yeah I, I feel like I can't quite put my finger on it either but yes that sort of sense of the the bad energy the resentment the anger that comes with a loss in a team sport. You know, obviously there are there are those examples of poor sporting behavior in sport fighting. You know, there's some pretty high profile examples of it, of, you know, fighters throwing a fit and that kind of thing. But it, it doesn't seem as common. And speaking experientially, as somebody who didn't, you know, even play team sports competitively, there were things like literally games where it didn't matter at all because it was just like two teams of, you know, junior high school students who weren't even playing in a match and people would get incredibly upset. And when I think about all the times, you know, dozens, hundreds of sparring matches or, you know, fights at all sorts of levels where someone wins, someone loses and people walk away from it fine, you know, without a great deal of psychic damage or, or anger. Um, and even, you know, sometimes an experience of like, I lost, but that was great. That was an amazing experience. And, I guess I guess it has something to do, I think, with that sort of one-on-one quality, with the chess match kind of quality, the kind of... Because for me, the, it's the chess match and the puzzle that I find fascinating, too. And so even, like, a situation where someone outclasses me so much that, like, there's no way I'm going to come out of this, the, the superior fighter. There's often these moments still where I'm like, but I saw it. I understood what happened. I understood understand how that person did that takedown on me or I understand how they landed that punch and there's this incredible sense of success even in something that might in fact you know in a literal way be a failure yeah and you know it's really interesting for the last like year I've been very heavily engrossed in women's professional hockey I've been writing a book for the National Women's Hockey League and I think one of the things I'm seeing that I just I mean I've become absolutely obsessed with the the NWHL and the the Canadian Women's Hockey League because there's something there that I think is I'm kind of used to seeing in 
uh, combat sports as well, which is this kind of like the game is over, but you know, they're all teammates because they've been on Olympic teams together and they are all working for this greater good, which is trying to push for professional women's hockey. And so I'm seeing something like really different emerge in team sports there that I'm almost envious of because I have a lot of you know, I loved hockey and I would always keep getting on the ice, but I have a lot of negative experiences that I could point to from growing up, whether it was when I was playing roller hockey or when I transitioned to ice or whatever it was, there's like, it just kind of feels like negativity kind of followed, <laughs> followed my career. And that going into martial arts felt almost peaceful. Like there was a time when I was doing both simultaneously, like hockey just for fun, but then I would go back in and train for, for martial arts. And it would almost be a relief to go back into the martial arts gym because I was like, okay, I don't have to worry about anybody saying nasty things to me. I don't have to worry about a guy, you know, trying to check me because he doesn't think I belong on the ice or whatever the issue is. Like, everybody here respects me. Uh, I'm at a point where I was, you know, I was running classes and I would really rarely, if ever, have an issue with somebody, you know, not respecting authority and somebody, you know, running and managing classes there and stuff. And so it really felt like at some point it was like, okay, I... Not that, not to say I lost the fight with hockey, but you know, at some point it was really nice and almost cathartic to just be able to walk into the martial arts gym and deal with the respect of the teammates and you know spar with them and and know that I didn't have to worry about those things all the time because that's really frustrating to deal with. I wonder if there's something kind of special about Muay Thai as well. I've only trained in Muay Thai a little bit, but kind of enough to know that it's in some ways a, well, not in some ways, it's a very challenging sport. I mean, it demands a lot in terms of physical conditioning. It's, it's a rough sport, you know, it's, it's hard on the body, but it also respect is super important in Muay Thai. And there's like, there's such attention to, to spirit. And I, I think it actually strikes a really good balance in terms of, you know, some martial arts like emphasize respect and kind of internal states so much so that they don't ever test anything out. There's nothing experimental about them because they don't even practice sparring. And then it seems like some martial arts, it's kind of all about the experimental, just try it out, try it out in sparring, test it, see what happens. Um, always be pushing. And Muay Thai seems to strike this really beautiful balance. Um, but I don't know if that's true because I've just sort of skirted the edges of Muay Thai rather than really, you know, pursuing it intensely. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, again, though, my experience is predominantly Muay Thai. So I, I've done some judo, some jujitsu. And I mean, from what I've seen, the minimal amount that I've seen from those, I've seen really nice communities around both as well. I've never really trained at like a strictly, I guess strictly isn't the right word, but a gym that really focuses on like MMA fighters. And from what I've seen at competitions of gyms that do focus on being like the all-encompassing MMA, there's um, a bit of a different community around that. And I think the gyms that I've seen that have been really strictly Muay Thai gyms in terms of like they practice kind of the ceremonial elements of Muay Thai. It's almost like you can tell in the way somebody fights because they're they're almost a little bit more laid back. There's kind of like a... I mean, there's definitely a style difference, but also in the way that they treat their opponents, the way the corner will kind of rush over to the other corner at the end of every bout to, to talk and, you know, say congrats, no matter the outcome, that kind of thing. I, I see that a lot from gyms that kind of include this, the ceremony of the fighting, which not all gyms do. And I, I 
think I'm kind of lucky that I just, in randomly selecting a place to go try Muay Thai, I ended up at a gym that added in a lot of that. And um, I think I would have been missing out if I didn't get the full kind of Muay Thai experience of the Y crew and um, those kind of elements that go into fighting in Thailand. Yeah, and it's 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 quite a sensible kind of thing in a way. If you're going to take a, a minimal rules fight sport, it seems very important to have a degree of ritual around it because it's so important with martial arts that they be framed so that we all understand that there are elements of it that are appear to be violent and there are elements of it that are aggressive and there are elements that are dangerous. But it's super important that we understand that it is not violence um, because what's happening has rules and it is consensual and people are demonstrating respect for each other. And then, you know, those sort of uh, rituals around Muay Thai seem really important because, because they do that so clearly. Yeah. And um, kind of giving thanks to, so it's about being thankful to um, family, your community, your, your training camp. And that was the part, you know, I always took to, which was, uh, you know, I'm very loyal to my training camp and, and my trainers. And even now in Western New York, even if I go spar somewhere, I'm, I'm pretty apt to just use all of my, my old gym was called freestyle. And, um, you know, all of my Muay Thai shorts and things like that all say freestyle. And I'm, I'm really proud to have that, you know, to have kind of grown up in that training camp and with my partners there and my trainers. And so I always appreciated the ceremonial aspect that kind of let me say, you know, you, you trained me, you taught me how to do this. And, um, you know, this isn't just about me or about like beating somebody up. This is me kind of getting to show like, you know, I'm proud to be a member of this camp and, and thanks to these people that kind of helped get me here, which always made it feel like it was about more than just a one-on-one fight. It, it kind of felt like that was the part that allowed you to say, this isn't just about the fight. This is also about the people that allow me to kind of get in the ring and train me to do it, which I appreciate. Which might be part of the explanation for why there's more bad blood around team sports versus martial arts. Cause I think um, so many martial arts, <clears throat> So many martial arts and combat sports have an element of that, that, okay, this is the interaction. This is the sparring match. This is the fight. But so much has led up to this moment. And so much training has led up to my opponent being here. And it's so amazing that I have this opportunity to participate in this, that there's that sense of like, this is actually about something larger. And I think that's less the case as, sports get more commercialized. You know, I I think that's true, whether it's a team sport or a combat sport, when sports get commercialized and it's about, you know, selling seats and pay-per-view and that kind of thing, that sense of like, it's about something larger can, can get lost. But um, the sense of it being about something larger gets lost, I think kind of easily with a lot of team sports, just because they are set up to focus so much on the competition that there isn't that sense of like there is there is something more significant here and it is about all the training that has led up to the, to these moments and maybe that's why i'm identifying too that this this new push for women's professional hockey is kind of following in that trend as well because they are identifying something much larger than the teams which initially it started with the olympics which in my lifetime, I got to see women first participate in Olympic hockey. That didn't exist when I was growing up. 
Um, and so from there, you know, they're trying to build this league. And I think they all identify that, you know, at first, uh, you know, not really getting paid to participate as Olympic athletes, you're really doing this to represent the sport that you love and grew up playing, giving yourselves a place to play. And then maybe as well with the the professional league now, why I don't really see that kind of negative team sport attitude as much is just because they're all identifying that the larger goal here is promoting something that up until three years ago did not exist, which is professional, a professional space for women to keep playing the game. And so maybe that kind of mentality is what is keeping some of that negative interaction out of it. And like, I don't know how to bring that into other team sports, but it's been a really I think it's why I enjoy going to those games so much or even just watching them online. Like I'm not usually one to sit down and watch football or really any team sport. And so to be as engrossed as I am in the NWHL and CWHL, I think maybe is due to what you just identified this, you know, something larger than just trying to be the standout star and make a bigger paycheck because at least for these women, that paycheck doesn't exist anyways right now. Yeah, and it's so in- that's such an interesting idea of like the the greater cause because as you were talking about that too with the struggles with ice hockey finding a sense of community in martial arts, I was thinking about my experience with rock climbing, which I did a fair amount of before I started training in martial arts, and it's kind of dropped off to one side because I become obsessed with martial arts. But how this that's another sport where there is a really amazing sense of community. And I wonder if it's just partially about the relative obscurity of a sport. I mean, rock climbing is now becoming more commonplace, particularly with like indoor climbing gyms and cities. But when I started rock climbing, it wasn't like that at all. It was it was quite an unusual thing. And there is a sort of sense of people, it's a smaller group of people, so you can become more easily connected. But then I think there is also this sense of a greater goal. And that may be also why like team sports can be a f- effective in generating goodwill when it's something like football for peace or the kind of like community baseball or basketball kind of programs where it's like, yes, this is a competition, but it's really about these other things. It's really about kind of connecting people with each other. So there's a sense of a greater cause to it. Yeah, I, I think absolutely. That's something I hadn't really considered for any of these, but, but yeah, I think I'd always kind of wondered why the, the, female hockey players kind of had a different vibe when you go to one of those games. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's kind of interesting moving between the two and, and working as a storyteller in both realms and kind of seeing the reception and what people want to hear about their sport. And uh, I I definitely think more from, you know, the kids or, or women or anyone that's engaged with the NWHL, they're just really excited to have ice to play on and to have people that come and watch them, whether it's 10 people or 500 people. And I think that kind of gratitude to be playing the sport is something that exists quite often in, in individual martial arts, like Muay Thai, at least in my experience, just um, maybe that's where the ceremonial aspects come from too. the kind of gratitude for people that helped you get there and to have the space to compete. And um, that's something that I always felt 
whenever I got in the ring and out of the ring, just win or lose, really excited to see my corner smiling and supporting me. And for as much as my mom hated it, she was at every single fight, (laughs) 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 which is, you know, for somebody that covered her face during the first fight, you know, as time progressed, she was definitely the loudest voice that I could, I could always hear no matter what. So sometimes saying like, get her, get her, or, you know, something. (laughs) (laughs) That's terrific. I love that. (laughs) for my very tiny pacifist mother so um, (laughs) with hockey too you know at some point like you know some guy was trying to get into something with me on the ice and afterwards you know my my like five foot tall mother's like I'm gonna go after him I'm like all right scrappy dude calm down just he nobody needs to fight at all right now (laughs) (laughs) you (laughs) so yeah I think that kind of gratitude makes makes the sports really interesting both in terms of the fans are really excited that they have this to be able to go watch and the players are excited to be there and the kind of money and commercialism that you talked about earlier hasn't yet come into the arena of these kinds of things for better or worse. Yes. And I think that's actually, that's a huge part of the, of this kind of conceptual puzzle about like why some sports generate such a sense of goodwill and, other sports don't, it may well have something to do with that sense of of gratitude. I mean, I think I'm often struck by that with practicing martial arts and particularly when it's something very intense and contact based, I just have these moments of how amazing that I get to do this. This is incredible. (laughs) Like, um, what an extraordinary thing to do, uh, you know, on a Tuesday night is to just go to the gym and, you know, like dodge punches and kick each other. I mean, it's a, it's an amazing opportunity. And I think so often with other sports, it's actually the opposite that it's like, oh, I have to do this. You know, I have to, because, you know, the gym class coach told me I have to get out there on the field or, you know, I have to go work out because I need the exercise or I have to do this because I'm going to let my teammates down. And, you know, it's not to say that people don't get a lot of pleasure from team sports, because certainly they do. But I, I think in a martial arts gym, you just find a lot more of that, like, sense of gratitude, as you were saying, and that sense of, isn't this amazing that we can do this together? Well, you also made me think, too, like, growing up, and I guess, you know, you already identified that you weren't really growing up playing team sports as much as I did. I like to joke that my parents raised me a Spartan. Like, you know, you have to get straight A and you always have to play a sport. So there was no compromise on either. And, you know, luckily I liked both. So it wasn't really an issue. Uh, I liked some sports more than others, but I was always playing a sport. And I think part of that became like, okay, I go to school and I stay at school and I continue to play the sport. And then I go home. And I think an element of those sports being kind of embedded in my curriculum kind of felt, I I think a little like, okay, this is still school. I'm still here. Like, you know, at some point the basketball coach was, or the assistant basketball coach was also the headmaster of my school or, you know, something like that. So there's a lot of crossover, whereas martial arts, I don't see like at universities, I see clubs and things like that for it, but that's people choosing to be there and be a part of this community. And I had to seek out martial arts on my own. So I think you're right. There is less of an element of, oh man, I have to be here because the coach told me I had to run laps. And yeah, I hate running and to compete, we had to run all the time, but I knew why I was running. Like there always felt like there was this really strong personal goal that I was running to, and I never wanted to make anybody in the gym 
feel like they weren't proud to have me on this team and be a member of like, you know, the fight squad and things like that. So even days when I wasn't feeling great, I was still excited to be in that space. You know, even if my head hurt or whatever, I would never, and surprisingly for me, you know, I would never make excuses. I would just go do it. And, you know, as an adult, as somebody with, you know, an academic career, that was something I didn't need to do. And I still did it anyways. And I, I think, you know, you hit on something here that I didn't really think about, which is how much these team sports are now so embedded in the school systems and martial arts, this kind of individual competition is something that I think people have to discover on their own. And that sense of discovery, I think, is actually a big part of the joy of practicing martial arts. I'm, I'm thinking about, like, you know, the, the kind of, again, thinking about, like, martial art memoirs or about, like, you know, just the, the stories that people tell. And so much of it is, like, oh, you know, I, I went and found this teacher or, you know, a lot of my early training in martial arts was, like, you know, training in somebody's backyard. It was, like, somebody told me, like, you know, some guy who was in a band who, like, you know, told me that there was this Sifu out in the San Gabriel Valley, and so I was training in a backyard, you know. And even if it isn't that, you know, quite so, you know, Hong Kong action movie kind of in its qualities, I think most people have that, that, like, oh, there was this gym on the corner, or, you know, I would always, like, pass this boxing gym on the way to work, and I always thought about going in there. And, like, there's so much of that sense of discovery in people's, you know, martial arts stories. And yeah, I think you're right. Like, I don't think people get that really with team sports because it is embedded and it's almost something that's presented to them as like, you will do this or you need to do this. So there isn't this sense of like, what a wonderful thing I managed to find, like, and that, that I had this adventure of coming to it. And that's just the beginning of the adventure of practicing it. So I know you, you came to like the clubs and things like that when you were a faculty member, but kind of growing up, do you ever remember kind of having any sense of being drawn to martial arts, like prior to discovering the clubs? I did. Yeah, actually it's interesting because I grew up um, with images of Bruce Lee around, you know, because I was, I grew up in the 1970s and there were Bruce Lee images everywhere. And I didn't really think about training in martial arts till I was in college. And after I graduated from college, I was like, okay, I want to do this. I want to, I want to train in martial arts. I couldn't find a Jeet Kune Do Bruce Lee style in San Francisco at the time. I mean, incredibly enough, this was before the internet. So <laughs> I was looking in the yellow pages and I didn't find anything. And then on the subject of gender, actually, I uh, called the Wing Chun um, studio and I was told that they wouldn't allow me to train there because they wouldn't train women. And I know it's, it's incredible because that was in the 90s. You know, it wasn't like, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm not that old. It wasn't like it was 1919 or something. Um, you know, it's like, that's that's pretty extraordinary. And yeah, and so I was like, okay, well, I, I guess I can't, you know. So I, I started training in traditional Kung Fu, Chole food. And I got injured in a sparring match and I was dancing. I, I was performing a lot. So I was, you know, I was like, I broke a bone sparring and I was like, I can't keep breaking things if I'm going to be performing. So I stopped training for a while. And then a friend of mine was training at that same Wing Chun studio, uh, a guy, and he started doing private lessons with one of the senior instructors who then I got to train with. So it kind of came back around in an interesting way of like, okay, I didn't get to train in the gym with the Wing Chun people, but I actually got to train with one of their senior students. And I did that for a while. And then uh, when I moved to LA, a similar thing where I basically, someone told me about this Sifu who was out in the San Gabriel Valley. And 
I started training, you know, literally in his backyard and there were like five other students and it was this kind of amazing experience. So like I kind of been dabbling for a bit in my young adult life and then with dancing and performing and going to graduate school, I just, you know, kind of stopped training until I got to UCLA and there was like, there was this Jeet Kune Do class and I was like, oh, this is amazing. This is what I've always wanted to be training in and never got the opportunity until that moment. So it was kind of a long and circuitous journey to martial arts. You know, I got there in the end. Yeah. No, it, it's uh, interesting because given uh, kind of my two big interests, like, I, I mean, yes, I work as a professor, but I spend most of my time writing comics. And uh, when I'm healthy enough, you know, I still try to train whether I'm playing hockey or Muay Thai. But, you know, I've had a lifelong obsession with comics. You know, I, I was dressed as Batman from the time I was old enough to say the word Batman. And the, it's interesting how much martial arts you see in these kind of pop culture elements. Or, you know, even now, I absolutely love choreographing fight scenes because I don't know how many other comic writers are out there being able to say, I know exactly what styles I'm using. I know, like, mine are so hyper-authentic because I actually know what this would look like. And for me, it is so much fun to be able to use the training in such a unique, kind of weird way. But, you know, I remember growing up trying to act out scenes from, like, Batman the Animated Series. And, like, one of the first moments that I ever sparred, somebody that's ten times bigger than me, but I just had this moment of, like, I cannot believe that somebody is just letting me fight. Like, in every Batman comic or TV show or movie, somebody has literally just said, put these gloves on your hands and go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I was elated, and I don't know if it was a lot of pent-up uh, aggression or what, but... I just couldn't believe that I finally found this space because, you know, my mom was always like, don't hit your brother and don't kick your brother. And I was like, oh, man, I really want to kick my brother. And <laughs> this guy that says, put some gloves on and you can totally kick these people. <laughs> so, so I guess it was a lifelong dream for me, too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, the other side of that, I guess that I should, you know, mention is that like I come to martial arts uh, pre-trained, shall we say, because I, I kind of did grow up getting into fights. And part of that was kind of being a brainy kid in a working class town and kind of getting picked on. But unlike a lot of other people who got bullied for being different, I really enjoyed a good fight, you know? And so it, it started out as a sort of defensive position, but, but I found I really liked scrapping with people. And it wasn't so much even like a kind of like, I like scrapping because I like to do damage although you know in situations where somebody where I was pushed really hard I would you know I mean not inflict serious damage but you know rough somebody up if they were you know really terrorizing me but what I found is that I really actually enjoyed getting into these scraps with other kids and that you know as a skill set as a as you know a kind of nerdy kid that's you know not a really not a terrible skill set to have but it also kind of, in retrospect, I'm, you know, oh, it's funny that it took me so long to work my way around to seriously training in martial arts, because in retrospect, it really seems quite obvious that it was something that 
I kind of had a predilection for. I'm kind of interested and not to just keep like hammering you with questions, but I'm actually kind of interested in like your, your background in dance and then kind of coming to martial arts. You know, I did dance for like two days and I was a little bit too, I think not so much a team player. Like when they said, come make a circle, I was like, oh, I'm busy doing other things. So um, not exactly the right place for me, but I just remember there being a very performative aspect to what they were asking me to do in dance. Like a lot of this in terms of, you know, what you're wearing or, uh, you know, this, the performance angle of like, we're working up to a performance and like, I know I've been in the ring in front of people fighting, but it doesn't it strike me as the same kind of performance. And I was just wondering if maybe there's anything that you thought was kind of similar there, having competed and practiced both? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I think, you know, what's similar is the flow state, mm-hmm. you know, that state of like complete immersion in yeah. in what you're doing and that way in which like when you're completely involved, the world goes away. And I think that's what makes performance either, you know, in the sport sense or the performance as performance art. I think that would, what's what makes it kind of possible in a way, because if we didn't kind of go into the flow state, like it would just be sort of paralyzing to stand in front of a bunch of people and have them like look at us. I think it would be kind of terrifying. I think when I was performing a lot, I I think I really enjoyed that, that buzz of, of being in front of an audience. I mean, I didn't perform much in dance forms that were very presentational. So I didn't do, I mean, when I was like, you know, kid, a teenager, I did some musical theater, but like most of my, most of my sort of serious commitment in dance was to modern dance and then uh, South Indian classical dance, Bharatanatyam. And the, the style of South Indian dance that I trained in in particular has this very like understated kind of quality. There can be, there are some very showy styles of, of that dance practice, but the one I trained in wasn't, it was very kind of like internally focused or sort of focused on the imaginative worlds that are being created on stage. And and certainly that's true of modern dance as well, that it, it's, it's so much about like the choreography and being fully present in the choreography. And it's not so much about trying to please the audience or, you know, smiling out at the audience and that kind of thing. And so I think in that sense, maybe it's a little more similar to fighting than it might first appear because it's kind of primarily one's own practice that somebody else is viewing and they're viewing that state of complete immersion rather than a kind of like here, I'm going to put this on, you know, for the audience to watch and be entertained by. Oh, it's really interesting. It kind of sounds like, so my own description of, of doing Muay Thai in terms of the flow, I had somebody in one of the classes that I was running say to me kind of you know as an offhand comment you know I've been kicking all afternoon I can't believe my shoulder and my abs are throbbing the way they are and it was like you know a a throwaway comment to say like okay you know I gotta work out or whatever but you know to me it just it's so illustrative of when you do one thing your entire body is actually connected you aren't just kicking with your leg or punching with your fist or whatever movement you're doing there is a complete flow if you are doing it correctly and i think the thing i miss about competing or training regularly the most is that feeling of 
here is a moment where my entire body is in sync, where everything is linked up, where you are like feeling from head to toe every single piece of you and you're moving in one swift motion no matter what you're doing. And like, you know, the balance and the things that come with that, I, I genuinely... I genuinely miss being able to to kind of feel that, but it sounds like kind of what you're talking about with, with dance as well. Yes, for sure. And I think the key difference, I suppose, with combat sport is like one is in the flow state because one has to be, you know, because there's that sense of risk and like the risk is coming from somebody else's fists and um, it, it kind of, it, it puts me into a flow state much quicker. I just realized that we have been talking for almost an hour. So I think, unfortunately, we have to draw this conversation to a close. It's been super interesting to talk to you. Yeah, thank you so much for having this conversation with me and for, for talking. Yeah, I really enjoyed running through such an interesting gambit of topics. And I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. So if people are interested in finding out more about your graphic novel writing, you have a graphic novel called Kicking Ice, right? Yes. And what's the other one called? Um, You. Kicking Ice is really the only sports-based one that's in stores right now, but if anyone's interested in following me on Twitter, my handle's at Steph underscore Smash, and I usually post links to books or upcoming projects or anything like that. Great. Well, great. Thank you very much for this conversation. 